Well, my name is Brian Croft. I'm the pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky in the U.S. And um, I'm excited to be here. I love, uh, some, there, I have a lot of friends who are here in Scotland. It's been seven years since I've been in Scotland. And uh, I'm grateful to be back. A lot of friends here at Charlotte and been a part of 20 schemes from the very beginning. And so uh, this is really exciting to be a part of this and to get to meet a lot of you. So uh, I want to pray and then I want us to be able to dive into our time together. Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that you brought us together. Thank you uh, for friendship and, and fellowship we enjoy because we are in Christ and we are brought together through the blood of Christ. Lord, thank you for those who are here who serve as pastors and leaders in your churches. Lord, may this time be fruitful to help us know how to best care for our souls. Lord, for those who are here who support their pastors and love and encourage them and want to know how to do that better, to understand them better, Lord, we pray your spirit would be at work and help them to understand that as well as to grow in awareness for all of us to know how to best commune with you and feed our souls with your word and to receive it and to have a peaceful, joyful soul every day regardless of what we face in this world. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So my conviction, I lead a ministry called Practical Shepherding, and my conviction is that to care for a pastor holistically is there's got to be three parts. The pastor's soul, his ministry, and his family. Soul, ministry, and family. And if one of those are not addressed, or if one of those three areas is neglected, you can imagine that that starts to cause trouble in a pastor's life in ministry. He neglects his family, that's a problem. He neglects his ministry or doesn't is not equipped to do the work of the ministry, that's a problem. But today I want us to be able to focus on that third piece, and that's the pastor's soul. So I want to invite you to turn to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. This is going to be our base passage for what we're going to look at. Just to help you understand why those are the three pieces, I want to put that before you and realize obviously this time during this breakout session is to focus on the soul. Acts 20, find verse 25, and to give some context, this is the Apostle Paul who's with the Ephesian elders, and this is the last time he's going to be with them before he leaves, and we'll never see them again. This is such an important passage because What Paul says to them, what we're about to read, are the final words that Paul says to these elders. And I'm never going to see you again. And remember, they don't have email or FaceTime to touch base again. So whatever he says to them, this is it. This is the the final words Paul wants to leave with these elders. Let's pay close attention to what Paul says to them and how that would instruct us as pastors, as leaders as well. So starting in verse 25, I'm going to read through verse 32 if you follow along with me. This is Paul speaking as Luke gives his account. And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. 
Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all men, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole purpose of God. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock, among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things, to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be on the alert, remembering that night and day for a period of three years, I did not cease to admonish each one with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. This is God's word. Amen. The key verse I want us to focus on is verse 28. So take your eyes to verse 28, the middle of these powerful words that Paul gives to these elders. And here's the verse that should matter so much to us. It's so instructive. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Brothers and sisters, that is the call of a pastor. Pastors feel the pressure from all different directions, from their own church, from other pastors and churches, and even the culture of what we're supposed to do and be as pastors. But let God's word cut through all the confusion and the pressure that many of us face and realize this is the call of a pastor. And you see what it is. It's two things. Be on guard for yourself and the flock. That's it. That's the calling of a pastor. And then notice in the next couple of verses why Paul chose to give this instruction out of everything he could say to them. He says this before he leaves and will never see them again. He says, be on guard for yourself and for the flock. Why? Because men will come in to devour the flock. So you have to guard them. Because somebody will come and try to devour them. Who will it be? Down at verse 30. And from among your own selves men will arise. So do you see why he chose to say that to them? Be on guard for yourself, yourselves, and the flock. Because there might be some from even among you that will rise up to devour them. Do you feel the weightiness of why Paul chose to say that above everything else he could have said to them in these final moments. To help us feel the weight of what the call of a pastor, a shepherd, is. So, take heed to yourself and to the flock. And the reason this session is on the pastor's soul is because many pastors take heed to their ministry, to their flock which we're to do. That's our focus, isn't it? I mean, that's what we're called to do. We're called to care for the flock. We are less likely to care for ourselves, to take heed to ourselves, to be aware of what's going on in ourselves in this incredible irony of our calling as pastors, where we are to serve and give ourselves and pour out for everybody in our flock. The incredible irony of that is so many pastors then don't care for themselves at all. 
In fact, we see that's almost like part of the calling. We sacrifice ourselves for the sake of the flock. But here's the problem as I work with all kinds of pastors and ministry I get to do. Pastors are imploding everywhere because we don't know how to take care of ourselves. We don't know how to take heed to ourself because we're so busy pouring out to take heed to the flock. So please see there's a balance that must come with this, and that's where I want us to focus. What does it mean to take heed to ourself? What does it mean to care for our own soul and to actually be okay to care for our own soul before we go try to care for everybody else's soul? Probably the closest, the best way to describe this from the Apostle Paul is 1 Timothy 4, 16. I'm not going to turn there, but what, that's where Paul says to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine. Watch your life and your doctrine. That's probably the best example of what, it mean, what he means when he says in Acts 20, take heed to yourself. Watch your life. Watch your doctrine. So that's what I want us to talk about for, our, for a few minutes this afternoon. And I want to let you know that my desire is for, us to, for, for me to allow even for us to ask some questions towards the end. So as we walk through this, try to allow about 10, 15 minutes at the end for any questions that you want to ask. So as I'm walking through this, feel free to, uh, to save those and we'll hopefully let you ask some of those. And, and, and please know, whatever question you would maybe want to ask is probably going to be helpful to others who are thinking about the same thing. So uh, know that we're going to try to do that towards the end. But there's three parts to this idea of caring for our own souls as pastors. And a lot of this applies to every Christian. Do you realize that busyness is the best way to avoid your own soul? And all of us are really, really busy, whether you're a pastor or not. And I want us to just stop for a moment and try to grow more aware of what's going on with us, not everybody else around us. So there's three parts to this I, wanna, I want to focus on. The first is, to care for our own soul, we have to first walk with Jesus. We just have to focus on walking with Jesus. Raise your hand if you have read The Reformed Pastor by Richard Baxter. Okay, thank you. If you haven't, it's an amazing book. And somebody gave it to me years and years ago because I was trying to learn about pastoral ministry. I was trying to learn about, all right, what does a pastor do and, and what does it mean to care for the flock? And everybody said, oh, Baxter cared for the flock in a way that was just unlike anybody else. And he reveals that in this book. But I, I took this book expecting to be taught about practical ministry. And I turn to the first page, and let me read to you how Richard Baxter's The Reformed Pastor opens. Quote, Take heed to yourselves, lest you be void of that saving grace of God which you offer to others, and be strangers to the effectual working of that gospel which you preach, unless while you proclaim to the world the necessity of a Savior, your own heart should neglect him, and you should miss of an interest in, in him and his saving benefits. Take heed to yourselves, lest you perish. While you call upon others to take heed of perishing, and lest you famish yourselves while you prepare food for them. Many a preacher is now in hell, who hath a hundred times called upon his hearers to use the utmost care and diligence to escape it. 
End of quote. And I suddenly realized this was not a book just about pastoral ministry and how to do ministry. I mean, I'm an American. You don't get in people's faces like Baxter does here. You're supposed to be more nuanced and subtle. And I remember just being just kind of shocked by it when I, when I read it. It's not what I was expecting. But even though this book that Baxter writes is a book about pastoral ministry, notice what he deals with first. A pastor, first and foremost, before gifts and calling and all those things come into play, has to be someone who walks with God, who knows Jesus deeply and intimately and walks with Jesus so that the fruit and the outpouring of his ministry to others comes out of that place. We have to read the Word of God not just to prepare sermons and teaching, but we read the Word to feed our own souls so that then we can feed it to others. We have to have time where we are alone with God and we experience and pursue the presence of Christ in our life before we can expect to help others to experience that. See, friends, we get so caught up in just the tasks of ministry that we miss the fuel behind a fruitful ministry is someone who walks with God closely, who knows Jesus intimately. Because the most fruitful ministry we can have, even as pastors and as leaders in other people's lives, is that they see that we walk with Jesus, that we've experienced him, that we know him. So we first must, must walk with Jesus before anything else. About six, seven years ago, my soul pretty much imploded before me. The rigors of ministry, being very unaware of how much I used busyness and the busyness of ministry in particular to avoid the things that were in my soul that I needed to face and deal with. And it almost ruined me. And a lot of the things that I'm going to talk about during this time are, are things I learned from a really painful lesson of, of almost losing it all. Because we have to grow in walking with Jesus, and walking with Jesus has to be enough for us to then walk in our ministry in a way that we pursue it and give ourselves to it, and yet we hang on to it real loosely. The beautiful truth that begun to set me free and brought healing to my soul in the midst of a lot of pain I was dealing with in my life was, if I have, if I have Jesus, is that enough? Like if I had to give all this ministry up, is it enough? And there was a time in my life where I couldn't say yes to that. And when I started moving to a more healthy place, it was a place I was able to say, I, if I have Jesus, it's enough. I'm okay with just him. I don't have to have this ministry. It's a privilege to have this ministry. We have to walk with Jesus in a real way. And to neglect that is to neglect the very thing that empowers our ministries when we go out to minister to others. So that's the first thing. We have, to, we have to walk with Jesus. That's the first basic piece. And I hope that resonates with you. But what I want to challenge you is, are you neglecting your own soul and your own walk with Jesus and your own feeding on the word of God to, to feed your soul 
because you're so busy with ministry. That is not a justification. Important ministry is not a justification to neglect your own soul and the spiritual nourishing of it. So that's number one. Number two, embrace your weakness. That's the second part of caring for our own souls as pastors and as leaders, is we have to embrace our weakness. We don't do that well, do we? Because we feel this pressure to somehow be superhuman because that's what people expect of us. Or we put that expectation and that pressure on ourselves. But to care for our own souls, we have to honestly and transparently embrace our humanity, our frailty, our sins and our struggles, and they're real, just like everybody else we try to care for. If you're here today and you're a pastor and you feel the pressure that somehow you have to be this, have this certain image or do everything right or be able to have all the right answers, I assume you probably feel like you live in a prison because that is a horrible pressure to walk in constantly. And it will corrode your soul as you try to live in that and meet all those expectations that everybody has for you. Turn to 2 Corinthians, find chapter 12. 2 Corinthians 12. Many of you will be familiar with this passage, find verses 9 and 10. This is the thorn in Paul's flesh that he asks to be removed, begs God to remove this thorn. We don't know what it is, but it's definitely a real thorn. It's a weakness in Paul's life. And I want us to read verses 9 and 10 because this is the response that Paul gets when he cries out several different times, remove this from me. And here's what he says the Lord, how the Lord responded. Verse 9, and he has said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties, for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have a confession to make. I misinterpreted this passage most of my adult life. Here's how I interpreted this passage most of my adult life. Christ's strength is most strong in me despite my weaknesses. That's actually the wrong way to interpret this passage. Christ is strong in me despite my weaknesses. In other words, Yes, I have these weaknesses and this thorn in the flesh, this, my humanity, my frailty, my sins, my struggles. I have all this, but, but despite those things, Christ is strong in me. He's able to still be strong in me. That's the wrong interpretation, but that's how I understood it. Here's the right interpretation. And you can feel free to press, push back on me later if you would like. But here's the, the correct interpretation. Christ's strength is found in me in my weakness. Not despite my weakness, but in my weakness. Do you see the difference? Despite is, oh, 
God makes the best of my, in the midst of, despite that I have the weaknesses, God makes the best of it, and still Christ is able to find, be strong in me. No. What he's saying here is that it's in the weakness that the power of Christ is most strong in us. And we look down at the text. Isn't that what, he says, I would rather boast about my weaknesses. Isn't that what he is saying? Why would he boast if it's not the weakness that then brings the strength? This is so counter to the way pastors typically function in their own personal life. Because we're afraid to embrace our weaknesses in front of our flock. Because what might they think? They, they think I have it all together. They want to think I have it all together. I, I can't show my weaknesses in front of the flock. Brothers and sisters, this is the key to caring for our own souls. Why? Because we're weak. We're human. We, we have frailties. We we fail. We don't do everything right. We have sins and struggles and snares in our life just like everybody else in our church. Let me ask you, how much do you fight that? How much do you just hate that that's the case? That even you won't accept that. So you just put your head down and just keep plugging along and ignore that because I, I don't want to face that. Friends, part of caring for our own souls is realizing we need Jesus just as much as everybody else in our church does. And somehow pastors think I have to show up in this superhuman way and I don't struggle the same way that our people do. I spent the first 10 years of my pastoral ministry at Auburndale uh, thinking that that's how I was supposed to show up, you know, strong and I have it all together and I can't show those weaknesses because that's going to discourage people and, and, and I had all these excuses. And you know what's happened? As I've just tried to embrace my weakness more in front of the church, it has totally changed the way that people feel connected to me as their pastor. Wait a minute, you, you struggle like, like me? I can relate to you in that way? So this is not only the way to care for our souls, it's, it's the way to enhance our own pastoral ministry. And by the way, this is true for any of you who are leaders in the church, men, women. Show up real and honest with people. We all need Jesus. There's nothing wrong with showing that by the, the struggles that we have. So let me give you a few practical tips on this. Number one is, so how do we embrace our weakness? How do we embrace our own humanity. One way is we need to simply embrace that we are all sinners. Now, I know that sounds like a spiritual answer. Let me explain. Pastors will acknowledge we're sinners, right? Hopefully we're preaching the gospel every week, and we have to do that. But do we really acknowledge and accept the fact that we struggle with sin like our people do? And do we actually even let them know that? I'm weak. I need Jesus, I need forgiveness. And we don't just throw it out there as an idea. We actually let them know. I had a fight with my wife and it was ugly this past week. And I needed the Lord's grace and I had to go ask for that. Things that might shatter the perfect reputation we're trying to have in our churches. But I would argue that this is not only 
the way for a pastor to live authentically in his own life and walk with Jesus in these ways, but it will enhance our ministry in our churches because I think it's God's design for us to serve like that. We've got to embrace we're sinners we'll, and, and let people know now, and we can talk about this in Q&A if you want. I, I get as pastors we can't stand up and just share every little thing and struggle that we have. I get that. But it's not an all or nothing, and I find so many pastors, people expect us to have it all together. So when we don't let them know we don't have it all together, they assume we do. But we don't. And that's okay. That's okay. And I just want to, to extend to any of you, if that's the first time you've ever heard that, and that sounds really basic as a pastor, it's really okay that you don't have it all together. It's really okay you have the same struggles that all your people do, even though you may be afraid to share it with them. It's okay. Here's another way we embrace our weaknesses. Embrace your not perfect. Anybody want to admit that you're a perfectionist? My hand's up. I'm a perfectionist. Thank you. Yeah. yeah. So there are two sins, I think they're sins, that are not only overlooked as sins, but they're looked at as virtuous in, in at least a lot of our cultures. One of them is being a perfectionist. You ever heard somebody say, I'm a perfectionist? And it usually means I like to do things really, really well. I want to pursue excellence in everything I do. So, yeah, I'm a perfectionist. Well, that's a sin. The other one is I'm a control freak. By the way, recovering control freak here too. I'm a control freak. I'm a perfectionist. Why are those sins? They're the two ways that we try to be like God that we cannot. Because only God is perfect. God's the only one in control. And as a control freak, that's a reminder I have to have every day. We, we have this illusion. We think we, can, we control these little things around us, and that's where we get our comfort. Okay, I got everything in front of me here. I'm in control of this. I see everything happening. We're not in control of anything. God's in control. We crush our own souls trying to pursue perfectionism and try to control everything around us. And usually we crush people around us. Because if you're a perfectionist, you probably demand that of the people around you as well. But I'm here to tell you, here's hope extended to you. You don't have to do anything perfectly. Isn't that free? You don't do anything perfect. Jesus has accomplished perfection for us. He's accomplished it for us. We don't have to be perfect in anything. By the way, it terrified me to have to face this reality in my own life because I thought, okay, the moment I let go of this, I am not going to care about doing anything well. That was a fear I had in doing this, and I hung on to it. You know what happened? I cared just as much about doing things well. You know what changed? I enjoyed what I did more because I didn't have this pressure of somehow to do this just right. Because perfectionists never achieve what they're trying to achieve. So let go of it. Part of embracing your humanity and your frailty is you're not God, which means you're not perfect and you are not in control. And friends, that is a freeing truth. 
grounded all throughout the Bible that we are not in control and we are not perfect. Stop trying to be. And as a pastor, as a leader, you get gripped by that, it will revolutionize the way you do ministry every day. You probably may not be aware of how much you crush your own soul by trying to control everything around you and trying to do everything perfectly. And if you don't, that's not good. So we've got to embrace our weakness. In Christ, the power of Christ rises up in us in our moments of weakness. And have we not experienced that, friends, as, as Christians, walking with Jesus? We are in those moments of great weakness that Christ somehow shows up and is powerful. Even when we do ministry, isn't that what happens? We're in a, a, we're in a moment of weakness. There's no way I can do what I'm about to do. And God just blesses it in a special way. We need to embrace our weakness. Number three is you have to care for yourself. So you've got to walk with Jesus, embrace your weakness. That's the key to a free, peaceful, and joyful soul. But here's the third piece. You have to care for yourself. Now I'm going to get into some real practical things that you're going to think have nothing to do with my, your soul. But I want to challenge you. I want to give you six things in this practical area that I, I believe everyone is tied to the soul. And you can challenge me on it later. So here's the six things. Personal care. So think more like physically caring for ourselves, but that they're tied to the soul in ways we don't realize. Number one. I have one word affiliations, but I think you'll get it. Number one, eat. What do we eat? And more importantly, why do we eat? There are two kinds of people in this world, I'm convinced. There are those who eat when they're stressed, and there are those who don't eat when they're stressed. I come from a long line of stress eaters, I'll have you know. And just because you maybe are able to manage your weight better as a stress non-eater doesn't mean it's any more healthy for you. Because what does that reveal? We go to food to find comfort in our stress. Is that not tied and connected to the soul? That's not about just what our diet is, how we manage what we eat and when we eat, just to be health conscious, which is a good idea, by the way. Why we eat, how we use food in our life reveals a whole lot. And just to be real candid with you, I'm at, I'm, I'm at a Southern Baptist church in the United States. Supposedly, 47,000 churches involved in the Southern Baptist Convention. And many pastors are morbidly obese. And have no idea why. But what I'm submitting to you, I believe wholeheartedly, is this is one of the reasons. The stresses, the demands of ministry, we carry in different ways. And some people try to find comfort in the stresses of ministry by food and eating a whole lot of it. So what do you eat? And, and more importantly, why do you eat? Is that not tied to the soul? That's the first thing. Number two. Sleep. I have two questions for you to answer to yourself while I ask them. How much sleep do you need a night? So answer that question for, to yourself. I have a second question. 
How much sleep do you really need at night? And I ask it that way because most of the time we lie to others and even ourselves about how much sleep we actually need at night, don't we? That's the one thing we just seem to stretch a little bit. I only need four, five hours of sleep. So confession time, I need eight hours of sleep every night. Eight hours. Feel free to judge me. Eight hours of sleep a night. When I sleep six hours, I can function on that. And when I sleep six hours a second time, I start to sink. And if I do that three days in a row, I assure you, you do not want to be around me. And you don't want to hear the sermon I prepared during that time either. Friends, this is part of embracing our humanity. Realizing we're not God. God is God. We're not God. That is a freeing truth for us as pastors and as leaders in the church. And that's how it's tied to the soul. Every night, I've had to deal with this in my own life, and every, just about every night I lay down, and I usually just feel the exhaustion of my body. I actually lay there a moment to let myself feel the physical exhaustion, the mental, the emotional, just exhaustion I feel. And I will, my prayer usually goes something like this most every night. God, I'm aware that I can't do anything else right now, even if I wanted to. I'm so exhausted. Like, like my, my limits... My humanity is so obvious to me right now. And that's okay. I, just, I need to sleep. And that, that's, that's how God's made me. And then I usually say, but God, I know you don't have to sleep right now. You're going to rule on your throne while I sleep right now. And that's what's so different about you and me. And to do that and to embrace my limits and my humanity and realize God's made me to need sleep, and all of us are different in how much sleep we need. So I want to challenge you to actually be honest with yourself. How much sleep do you need a night? Does the world not look darker when we are sleep-deprived? Does it not? Just for me. I figure out how to fly from America and spend time here. I land usually in the morning, and then you have to just make yourself stay up all day to then just collapse in bed that night. And I am usually miserable because I sleep eight hours a night. To stay up and pull an all-nighter all of a sudden is really hard. But then I go to bed and then I sleep and I feel great the next day. But man, it's hard to just not sleep at all. I just am aware of that in my own body and limitations. Friends, you're not God. One of the ways to embrace your limitations, care for yourself to do whatever you need to do to get the right amount of sleep. Number three, exercise. Exercise. Certainly a good way to manage weight, which is a good way to care for ourselves. But exercise is also arguably the most natural and healthy way to deal with stress. And I don't know if you've noticed, ministry is really stressful. And whether it's exercise or something else, we have to have healthy productive ways to deal with the stress because I assure you if you don't figure out what those are you will find unhealthy and unhelpful ways to deal with stress in your life and escapism and all kinds of other things that we deal with in trying to manage the stress and the demands of our life so exercise how well are you caring for yourself in that way number four friendship it is astounding how many pastors do not have close friendships 
How many do you have? Because maybe you're one of those. And that's okay if that's you. But I'm telling you, it is crucial, it is essential for pastors especially to care for your own soul, to have friendships that are actually good and life-giving to the soul. Because I don't know how else to say this, so I just will. There are some relationships that I have with people in our church that are not very life-giving to me. Some are more than others, but everybody needs to be cared for. But so often, we think just those relationships and caring for people is going to be enough. We have to have friendships. And what I mean by friendships is other people that we can be raw and honest with and let them know what we're struggling with, what's going on in our life, to be able to share freely and not feel like we're going to be judged by somebody else. But you're a pastor. You shouldn't struggle like that. Not that friend. Somebody who will just welcome it. Now, we need the people who confront us when there's sin, and we need to address those things. There's a balance. But I'm talking about a friend who you know loves you and receives you and accepts you in however you need to show up and whoever you are. That kind of friendship. And I would challenge you that sometimes, oftentimes, it's great if you can find it in your church. I think pastors most of the time find it outside their own church. And that's okay. This has been something that I have discovered in the last four or five years that have been really helpful for me. Some of my closest friendships are not even just outside my church. They're with non-pastors. I have some dear pastor friendships in other churches. But I realized I actually needed friendships outside my church with people who didn't want me to pastor them. So one of my dearest friends owns a restaurant. And is a faithful Christian man, and we become dear friends, and I can bring him whatever I need to bring him, and he's not expecting me to pastor him. He just wants me to be a friend. Pastors, you need those kind of friendships. It's good for your soul to have people who will care for you without strings attached. Number five, rest. Now, I, you can take all the holiday you want. That does not mean you are resting. And in fact, sometimes when pastors take time off, it tortures them because you fret about everything going on at church while you're gone. I, I find it fascinating that some of us pastor churches that are 100 and 200 years old, and somehow we think it's going to crumble and close if we're gone two weeks. How, so this is partly about taking time off and away from church. But it's also about, this is tied to the soul. How well can you let go when you take that time? And just trust the Lord with whatever happens. Had a friend challenge me about this. I wasn't taking all my vacation time and he heard about it. And he confronted me, he says, why are you not taking all the time off the church gives you? And, of course, I had some lame excuse. And he taught me something that, that was really impactful. He says, you take every day the church gives you. Why? Well, it's for you to rest, first of all. It's for your family. Because our families share us 24-7. The only time they don't have to share us is when we leave and just they just have us. 
We are robbing our families of time with us when we don't take all the time the church gives us. And the third reason we take every day the church gives us off, because it's for the church. But I can't, I can't take like three weeks in a row, there's nobody to do this and to do that and to do that. Well, how about you leave and see if somebody steps up? And if they don't, you'll know that's a hole to fill next time. We get so wrapped up when things just maybe don't go just right one week, it's going to destroy everything. Friends, we're more expendable than we want to acknowledge. Take time to rest so you can let go of your ministry burdens because I have found that's the only way you can come back and take them back on again. If you carry them constantly, it will eventually crush your own soul. Last one, number six. Silence. Silence. If busyness is the best way to avoid our souls, then silence is the best way for us to grow aware of what's going on in our souls. And I learned this in a really painful way because I hated silence for so long. I kind of excused it because, you know, I'm an extrovert and I like to be with people. And I was just kind of tormented in silence and I wasn't sure why. When my soul imploded about six, seven years ago, and I actually went and got counseling with a professional counselor and help, to help me, I realized that the silence tormented me because of the pain in my soul I was not facing. Some struggles I was having I didn't realize were there. And silence made them come up. And so I kept myself really busy to avoid it. And I assure you, friends, that's the way you potentially deal with your own issues in your soul and your people do. Silence is a beautiful and wonderful discipline to know what's going on in the soul. And the Psalms tell us to wait for God alone in silence because he is my salvation. How much silence do you embrace in your own life? in the midst of the crazy, busy life that we live and everybody wanting something from us. Silence exposes the soul. And I would encourage you to try this if this is something you have not tried. Last thing I want to share before we take a couple minutes for questions that I'd like to take from you is a lot of these things that I've mentioned are things that came up for me as I pressed forward in about 15 to 20 years of hard pastoral ministry, and I kept pressing through and pressing through and was having fruitful ministry and God was blessing things, but it eventually just wore me down because I did not know how to take care of myself. And I moved to one of the darkest places I've ever been in, in my own soul. And I needed help. I needed care from others. So the last thing I want you to hear is, Wherever you are and however you try to care for your own soul, whether you do it all, most of the time, I'd say all the time, we need others to care for us. There's an incredible irony that we give ourselves as pastors to our flock. Why? Because we know sheep need a shepherd. But who cares for the pastor? Pastors need care too. 
And if you don't have that care and that support system around you, you are in a dangerous place to not last long in ministry. And if you're sitting here just fried, wondering if you can do this another day, please hear hope in this. This may be the key for you to be able to begin to learn how to care for yourself and in turn have a long, fruitful ministry. We have to embrace our humanity. We've got to walk with Jesus, embrace our weakness, and we have to care for ourselves if we want to do that. So what I'd like to do is just take a moment. I want to ask you to bow your heads and just take a moment before the Lord. What's maybe one thing I've said that I've talked about that has resonated with you And we're going to sit in silence, of all things. And I'm going to allow you just a moment with the Lord. What do you need to say in this moment in just prayer? That's maybe you've become aware of, you were not aware of before. Or something he maybe has been trying to get your attention about. And I'm going to just give you a moment to go before the Lord on your own. And then I'll pray, and then I'm going to open us up for the last few minutes with questions. So let's take this silent time. Lord, I'm aware that there's many things that could have been stirred up in people's souls as I spoke. So, Lord, we ask that you would just come and and minister grace to us and help us to receive that grace. Remind us you love us. You care for us. You desire a peaceful, joyful heart in each one of us. Because that's ultimately what the power of the gospel provides for us in this life because of forgiveness and salvation and freedom. So, Lord, would you come and minister that grace now? And, Lord, help us to receive it. Use this as a moment to change something in our lives that would give a greater longevity of our ministries and fruitfulness of our ministries. But Lord, we ultimately know you are the one that holds us fast and strengthens us for the task you've called us to. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. We've got about 10 minutes for questions, about about eight minutes for questions. So if you would speak up, um, if you have a question, raise your hand, I'll call on you, and then if you'll do your best to just project. Uh, we can talk about it. Yeah, brother. Thank you. Yeah, great, great question. And I get that question a lot because 
That's, a, that's an important question in this balance. So what ends up happening, I find, is that because there's this pressure in the call of 1 Timothy 3 to be above reproach, that some translate that as, I have to do everything right. I have to be perfect in front of these people. And yet, there is a call for pastors, 1 Peter 5, to be an example to the flock. So there is a balance we have to find with these things. What I encourage people to do most of the time on this is to realize it's not an all or nothing. If you think about it, there are struggles in your own life that you can share. And again, use wisdom, use discernment, but there are things that if you really are willing to be honest with people in your own struggles, that hopefully as a pastor, knowing your flock well, would benefit them. So you have a meeting with somebody the week prior, and they, they share with you, you know, I, I'm just struggling with trusting God, right? That's a common struggle, isn't it? You can then assume there are others that struggle in that way. So I've gotten up in front of our church to take a moment and say, I just want you to know this is an area of my life I struggle to trust the Lord. And it creates anxiety in me, and it creates worry in me. And, I, and would, you, would you pray for me? Just to know, this week, you can pray for me that I'll just learn how to trust the Lord, because I know I can, but I struggle with that. That doesn't disqualify me from ministry, does it? But do you see how that could connect with a whole lot of people who think, man, he always trusts God, doesn't he? See what I mean? So there's, there's all kinds of things. There's, and I think you use wisdom. There's plenty of things to say, you know, there's a level of things I probably need to share with my elders and my closest friends, and I don't need to just bear in front of the whole church, right? So I think what I've found is when people, when pastors think thoughtfully about this issue, those categories begin to develop. But most of the, we just, we just don't take the time, I think, to discern that there are those categories. Yeah, does that make sense? Exactly. That, and that's what most do. We, and a lot of times, and you need to know this, we're driven by fear to not share. Therefore, we don't ask ourselves the question, huh, would it be good for me to share this, though? You know, Would, would, would it be good for me to, to share that um, we, uh, we had a rough week with one of our children? You think maybe somebody else in the church had a rough week with one of their children? Maybe. Right? So, again, this is why it's so connected to the pastoral work. You know your flock, you know their struggles, then you can assume there's probably others, but when you know there's like five families out there that have a rebellious child somewhere that they are just burdened by, you know, don't miss how God works through you standing up and, and saying, yeah, we've had a struggle. Now, on that topic though, obviously we need to be careful about how we bring our families and our kids into the mix. But, um, but yeah, there's a discernment there that uh, I think is helpful for people. We have to, this will sound strange, but I believe it's true. In so many ways, pastors have to humanize themselves to their flock. Otherwise, the, flo the people in the church have this expectation that we're somehow not normal people and human, and that's the different expectation. Yeah, great question. Yes, sir. <laughs> what a very perfectionist question to ask, though. Thank you, guys. So, yeah, no, that's great. Thank, good question. Um, 
you know, I think there's certainly a balance. Because we affiliate perfectionism so much with excellence, uh, we can see a laid-back person as lazy. Um, so in the same way a, perfect, a perfectionist does a lot of excellent, a lot of things excellent, that's part of the fruit of that. In a lot of ways, there's laziness that's attached with laid-backness. But because both, but I, don't think, I do not think that's true all the time. So I think you have to discern whether you're dealing with somebody who's just lazy and, is, and uh, the Bible addresses the sluggard, you know, and uh, is it um, Titus 3, the, no, that's the diocese, I'm thinking of the um, 2 Timothy, or excuse me, 2 Thessalonians 3, where the, the man, there's a man that's lazy and taking advantage of it. Like that, there's, there's, a, there's sins to the level of even needing to discipline people over that. So there's a sin of laziness that needs to be addressed. But um, there's also something beautiful about people who are laid back. So you've got you've to discern uh, which is in play. In the same way, is this something, somebody who just really likes to do things well? Or is this somebody who's like driven by perfection and is crushing everybody around them? So both sides determine... Both have snares that come with them. Both have good things that come with them. So I think you, pastorally you have to just try to wade through those waters the best you can. Yeah. Yeah, I'll go here and then Liam, I'll come to you. Yeah. Yeah, great question. And, and this is a journey for everybody in the church because especially if you go to a church that maybe does have elders, but they haven't seen that as their role. Um, yeah, it's a process you have, to, you have to teach just like you would if you come in and there's a group of elders that doesn't know how to be elders, but this is what you have. You got to teach them to shepherd the flock. You got to teach them, look, you also need to invest in me. You need to love me and care for me, and we need to care for each other. Um, in the process of as you're teaching and trying to facilitate that, God has to do that work. Um, it's not something you want to force. You don't want to confide in an elder who doesn't, is not trustworthy and doesn't understand that this is something they need to do to care for you, which is why we need to have friendships a lot of times outside the church to help do that. So then there's not the pressure of, no, you're the only one that can do this. you got to do this and step into this, and they're not ready. So it's like anything else you have to teach to be able, to, and hopefully the Lord does that work in maturing your elders. The goal is, is that your elders, are, you're, you become close relationally, you can trust one another. And if you're dealing with elders that hopefully have a heart to shepherd, which is what an elder's supposed to do, hopefully they're going to have a heart to shepherd each other. And I think that's really the core of, of being an elder. And so you have that task to pull from. So it can be helpful. Yeah. Lynn, why don't you ask yours, and then I see a crowd gathering in the back. Yeah, thanks. What do you encourage, what do you encourage pastors to do in terms of planning, how you study, how you rest? <laughs> what do you do? How do you my main encouragement, the short answer is my main encouragement is, is plan it. Like, I think there's tons, everybody's got to figure out what their rhythm of life is. And some are really helped by taking a week off. Some need a month, and they take all their time off, like right there. Know what is best for you. Know what helps you rest the most. Everybody's different. Uh, but there's got to be that balance of time to be able to rest and also to have time to, to study and to grow and to learn. So, yeah, thanks. Thank you all. We, gotta, we need to dismiss, but Lord bless you. Thanks for being here. And I'll be around the rest of the day today and this evening at the concert. 
Find me. I'd love to meet you and, and chat more. Thanks for being here.